Good morning. Happy fourth. Stand. Sing. stand up. <laughs> Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for the freedom we have in you. We're thankful for this wonderful nation that we live in, Father, that affords us the freedoms that we have. Father, help us to know that those freedoms were fought and died for just like our freedom in you was fought and died for through Jesus. And Father, I pray this morning that as we're gathered together that we can bask in that joy. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. 
Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. We're glad that you've come to worship with us today as we're going to lift up Christ together. Um, please make sure you fill out your connection card this morning. If you're online and following us, we ask you to do the same. So at this time, the praise team is going to continue lifting, lifting us up in praise to the Lord. Are you seated? Stand up. <laughs> Here we go. Stand up, stand up for Great God, our King. 
know he said it, but let's go ahead and put our hands on our cross, our hearts. <clears throat> I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. about ready y'all play ball <laughs> beautiful that's right one of the things you're going to notice this morning and some of you are going to be disappointed um, I'm not going to be doing one of those what I call red meat patriotic sermons today because I'm staying in the series I am but just so you understand 
what we're covering in Psalm 23 is so important for us because I'm going to let it rip here a little bit. We are living in difficult times in our country. Everybody can agree with that. Go to the grocery store, go to a restaurant, go to the gas station, look at what's happening around the world. It's falling apart. I think our founding fathers would roll over in their graves if they saw what was going on with this country and with the politics of this nation. And you know what, folks? We're partly to blame because we need to get out and vote, not just, I'm not talking about party stuff, but we need to be out there voting for people who stand up for God's principles. Our country was founded on this. We have to quit voting for people that are just going to give us what we want and instead give us what we need. And until that changes, folks, it's going to keep getting worse. Until we keep putting, I won't name names, the same people in office for 50 years, why do you expect anything different? So the importance of this message this morning is this. We're, we're going to see that in spite of what's going on, God is with us all the time. And we don't put our hope in government, thank God, because we would all burn in hell. <laughs> we put our hope in God. And God, I believe, has given us this great country, which we live. I believe it's, God was in it all the way. I don't know why, but he was. And you can look at our history and see that. And I think it's a shame what's going on in our history books and our schools, where our young people are taught to hate their country. And if they hate it, as far as I'm concerned, there's the door. Take it, because this is a great country. And it's, its greatness comes from our relationship with Christ. And without that, we're going to be just like every other nation in history. With that being said, when times are going well in life, do we question God's love and protection and provision? I mean, do we think, oh, God's not with me. Man, things are going so well. My job's going great. My relationship's great. I got a nice house. I got this. Man, things are good, so God hates me. Now, we, we don't think that. And I, sometimes during those times, we probably even forget that God's around because things are going so well. David proclaimed that the Lord was his shepherd and that as a result of that, he lacked nothing. Last week, we covered in verses 2 and 3, we looked at those and we took note of exactly what David meant when he said, when he says, I'm lacking nothing, what does that mean? And we looked at that last week. God provided all the needs that he had. God took care of him. When times are rolling well, we would agree with David that God's rolling with us. Man, it's going well. God's got to be there. But how do you feel when things aren't going well? How do you feel when you're facing a deep need and you're unsure if it's going to be taken care of? Do you still feel like the Lord's your shepherd when the world is crashing down around you? When you look at what's going on, do you, do you still think, yeah, the Lord's with me, man, this is great. It's a terrible time and God is with me. Or is that when you start to think, you know what? He's only there during the good times. When your life is rough and you come to church, do you hide your fears, your doubts, and your pain? How you doing? I'm doing great. Everything's falling apart. Is that what we do? See, David was serious about one thing in his life, his relationship with Christ, excuse me, with the Lord. Jesus wasn't. Uh, hadn't, hadn't ascended at that point or come down at that point but he was serious about his relationship with God now what's interesting is as good as his relationship was remember what did God say about David there's a man after my own heart an adulterer, a murderer 
and all kinds of other bad things. Basically a horrible parent. But God looked at him and said, there's a man after my own heart. But what's interesting, with all that being said, look at David's life. Was it sinless or even close? (laughs) No. Was it problem-free? Absolutely not. And many times when those difficult times come, we think, well, where's God? Well, David is not speaking from a person who never had problems in his life, never struggled with sin, never did anything wrong. Instead, David was a man that was just like every person that's in this building. Faulted, struggling, had had his issues. Today, we're going to see all the beautiful things that God has provided to us in the sense of when it happens. That's why the message this morning is entitled, At All Times. The big idea to the message this morning is that, is that David is speaking of God's providence, of his provision, excuse me, in the trying times, in the presence of those who oppose him, no matter what's going on around him, at all times, God provides. So let's read Psalm 23 one more time together, and then we're going to focus on verses 5 and 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He he takes me to lush pastures. He leads me to refreshing water. He restores my strength. He leads me down the right paths for his reputation. Even when I must walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a feast before me in plain sight of my enemies. You refresh my head with oil. My cup is completely full. Surely your goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all my days. I will live in the Lord's house for the rest of my life. So the first observation this morning is that God provides in times of trouble. Look at verse 5 with me again. And we're going to focus on the first sentence of verse 5. You prepare a feast before me in plain sight of my enemies. This is the focus of of this observation. He's saying that when people are coming at me, when people are attacking me, that the Lord does something special for him. When David acknowledged God as a shepherd, David had plenty of experience of having times of trouble, and he knew that God was with him. Early in David's life, Saul, and I touched on this a little bit last week, Saul was in pursuit of David. Saul was the king, but he grew jealous of David. As David was doing things early on in in Saul's kingdom, David was getting accolades. Saul's killed thousands and David's killed tens of thousands. And Saul all of a sudden started noticing this and he said, whoa, wait a minute. I'm the king. I'm the one you should be looking at. I'm the one you should be bowing down. I'm the one you should be writing songs about, which they kind of did, but he wasn't the hero of the song, it was David. And so as a result, he started, he started trying to kill David at every opportunity that he had. David was on the run with a small army that was running with him. And when you look at David, remember, here's a man that God had told when he was a youngster, you're going to be the next king of the country. I can't imagine having that knowledge. I mean, today, people are born in these royal families and stuff, and they know it. David was a shepherd. He was not born of a royal line in the sense of, hey, our families have been kings, so I'm up next. As a matter of fact, when when he was chosen, the prophet kept saying, oh, it's got to be this one, man. He's tall. He's got to be this. This guy's good looking. It's got to be this one. It was David. So David, while he was on the run at one point, 
fearing for his life, was hiding in a cave. And I, I want to read this to you. It's 1 Samuel chapter 24. It's, it's a little lengthy, but I want to read it because I think it's amazing. Saul comes in the cave where David's hiding to relieve himself. Hmm. When Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, look, David's in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 select men from all of Israel and went to find David and his men in the region of the rocks of the, of the mountain goats. He came to, to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the recesses of the cave. Oops, sorry about that. And David's men said to him, This is the day which the Lord has said to you, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you can do to him whatever seems appropriate to you. So David got up and quietly cut the edge of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David's conscience bothered him because he had cut the edge off Saul's robe. And he said to his men, May the Lord keep me away from doing such a thing to my Lord, who is the Lord's chosen one, by extending my hand against him. After all, he is the Lord's chosen one. David restrained his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. Then Saul left the cave and started down the road. Afterward, David got up and he went out of the cave and he called out to Saul, My Lord, O king. And Saul looked behind him and David kneeled down and bowed with his face to the ground. And David said to Saul, Why do you pay attention when men say, David is seeking to do you harm? There's a lesson there. Today, your own eyes see how the Lord delivered you. This very day, into my hands in the cave. Some told me to kill you, but I had pity on you and said, I will not extend my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's chosen one. Look, my father, See the edge of your robe in my hand. I cut it off the edge of your robe. I didn't kill you. So realize and understand that I am not planning evil or rebellion. Even though I have not sinned against you, you are waiting in ambush to take my life. May the Lord judge between the two of us. May the Lord vindicate me over you. But my hand will not be against you. Now, it looks like, for all intents and purposes... David obviously doesn't want to be on the run. And Saul's men don't want to be on the run. For one, they're away from the comforts of home. They don't have their wives with them. It's just a bad thing. And they're always in fear of their life. They're, they could be trapped at any point. David knew, though, he knew God well enough to know that God would not have David kill Saul. I mean, how many times have we been put in a situation when, oh man, this is God, look at this, and we jump? See, David could have jumped. He could have said, go get him, guys, and brought his head out and said, hey, here's your, I'm your king now. God said so. This dude's not dropped it. A mic drop. It'd be a head drop moment, actually. And he would tell him, look, here I am. But see, David was in a difficult time. David could have ended that difficulty, apparently, seemingly, by killing Saul. And then he goes home, he's king, and he goes on and lives his life. But the thing is, here's something about David. David didn't question whether God was with him or not, even when he was on the run. Now, he lamented a few times, and he whined and cried, but ultimately, at David's core, look, there are certain things in life we know we still whine about them, you know. 
Uh, I'll watch a ball game, and I know when a certain person's pitching, I know they're pretty much going to lose, and I kind of whine about it. I just know it's what's going to happen, like today. But anyway, oh, no, not today, yesterday in the second game. Uh, But the thing is, we need to know that God is with us, that he's doing all the things that he promised during times of trouble and times of stress. God's blessings flow to us in the presence of our enemy. When you are under attack, God is with you. And sometimes that is so hard to deal with because when you're being attacked, there's a few ways you can deal with attack. One, you can ignore it. Two, you can confront it. And two, three, you can go scorched earth on people. And, 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 and the fourth thing, and the right thing is let God deal with it. That one's hard. I've been under attack before, and I've had such a hard time just saying, God, you deal with it. You deal with it. It's one thing if you've done something, okay, that you deserve it. That's a different story. But many times people come after you for absolutely no reason, for their own ego, for their own, their little feelings got hurt about something that shouldn't have got hurt about. But when you're under attack, God is with you. Now, verses 5 and 6 in our passage appear to be a bit of a shift from shepherd and sheep to guest and host. So there's a subtle thing. I mean, when we start talking about the sheep, you know, I'm not sure the sheep sit down at the table, bah, bring me some food, you know. So there's a shift here. It appears there's a shift in imagery. And the image shift, therefore, it shifts from the joys and, and threats of the migrating flock to a new picture of a beleaguered faithful, of the beleaguered faithful, going through difficult times, walking through those difficult valleys, being under attack, but yet having the lush pasture, having the, the refreshing water, But in this part of the passage, it appears what's going on here is these beleaguered faithful are being honored by God in the very presence of their enemy. In verses 5 and 6, God is no longer the shepherd, but he assumes the role of the host while trusting his trusting followers sit as honored guests at his table. The picture is one of realization of the ultimate communion with God himself. When we're under attack, we have to know that God is with us. See, the passage says that God prepares a feast before our enemies. Why would he do that? Well, he does it to show them that he is with you, that he's providing, and that he's caring for you, that he hasn't just left you in the cold, left you out there by yourself to be torn to pieces. Since God is the host in the presence of our enemy, there's a bit of a taunt going on here. And the taunt is like this. Ha, 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 ha. God is with me. Look, you're all attacking me. Look whose house I'm eating at. Look who's honoring me. You sure you want to keep attacking me? It's just like David. Think about this. He saw Saul, rightfully so, as God's anointed. So no matter what Saul was doing to him, David wasn't going to mess with him. David would not kill him because he knew that God, in spite of what Saul was doing, he was still, until God said he wasn't, That was God's anointed. And so David knew instinctively, I don't touch that guy, no matter what he does to me. I wonder even if he had to to defend himself against him one-on-one if he would have attacked him. Because he knew that's God's anointed. And he also knew that God promised he'd be king. But yet here he was running. When you give your life to Christ, man, it's not going to be perfect. But God hasn't left you. David was suffering as a result of Saul's delusional mind. And by the way, when you, if you were listening carefully to the Samuel passage, David said, why are you listening to what other people are saying about me? Man, how many times have we done that? 
How many times have we listened, somebody put bug in our ear and put a bug in your ear about something that kept on and kept on and kept on, and eventually we're like, hey, yeah. I mean, I've recently had that happen to me in a situation where this person was telling this other person a bunch of stuff. It was absolutely not true. The person knew it wasn't true, but yet that person, other person kept in their ear, and finally when that other person stopped, they said, you know, I feel so much better because I don't have this garbage going into my head all the time. It doesn't make me even question anything. And so, see, the taunt here is, you can mess with me, but you can't hurt me. You can mess with me, but you're messing with God. And David knew that. Hospitality in the, in the, in the ancient Near East was required. It required, excuse me, more than just providing a meal. The host was responsible for protecting his guest. Remember in uh, Genesis 19 and verse 8, when uh, they were at the house of uh, Lot, and the angels came in, and all the perverts in town were trying to get them to come out. And he's, this always freaked me out. And he said in verse 8, he says, take my daughters. They've never been with somebody. I'm like, whoa, whoa. See, when you went into somebody's home, you were under their protection. When you're at the feast with the Lord, you're under his protection. Look at verse 5 with me one more time. And by the way, since David is his guest, he enjoyed God's protection and when you're under someone's protection, you don't have to worry about what's going on around you. Let's look at verse 5 one more time. We're going to focus on the second half. He says, You prepare a feast before me in plain sight of my enemies. And here's the other part. You refresh my head with oil. My cup is completely full. So God provides in times of need. So the focus here is you refresh my head with oil. My cup is completely full. If you see verses 5 and 6 in the shepherd-sheep relationship, which some commentators think it still is, what the shepherd would do is the sheep would come into the sheepfold. The shepherd would examine each sheep as it came through the door. They would check it, make sure it wasn't cut, did it need medication. They would put oil on the head, and what that would do is it would help keep the flies and things away. And then the sheep would go into the fold, and then at night the shepherd would lay across the gate to protect them. So if you look at it that way, that's what's going on. Um, if the sheep were sick from eating a poisonous plant or something, he would work on them. And so what he would do is he applied soothing oils to the hurts of the sheep, and he had a sizable two-handed, two, uh, two-handled cup that was full of water if the sheep looked like it needed something to drink. So the sheep knew they were safe. Once they got in that fold, they didn't worry about anything. They'd been taken care of. Now when you go back to the guest and the host scenario, more than security and substance is provided here. More than the fact that when you walk into the house of, a, of somebody in, in that time, you were protected by them and they provided for you with food, but they also anointed your head with oil. And this shows that it was a sign of gladness that you were with them. It was a sign of soothing. It was a sign of healing. It's a sign of, you know what? I know you need to get off your feet. I know it's been rough. You're going to come here. The cares of the world are no longer with you. The stresses you're dealing with are no longer with you. And remember, those days, you couldn't just turn on a faucet and get water. Every single chore in life was a chore. It wasn't, it, wasn't, it, was, it wasn't easy. You know, they even had to have their kids go turn the TV channels. They didn't have remotes then. I mean, it was a, my dad, I told my dad once, you just had us to turn the channels on the TV. He says, yep. So, okay. But the host, the host recognized such treatment and afforded the guests a special courtesy. He made sure that they could just come in and just let go. When he talks about my cup overflowing, the, when you would come into someone's house, and this is still true in a lot of the parts of the world. I've talked to people who've done missionary trips and, and, and been missionaries in different parts of the world, and some of the poorest people that they would be with would be the most generous. 
They would give you all they had plus some, even if they were going to go hungry the next day. They did that because they wanted to be able to have your cup overflow. And that's a sign of joy, a sign of love, and a sign of respect. Blessings were more than abundant. And that's what, the, what, what, Paul, what, Paul, what David says. He says, my cup is going to overflow. How full his life had become through his relationship with the Lord. David had everything that he had came from through his relationship. Some of the rough times, Saul, and all the good. These thoughts remind us of what Paul wrote to us in Philippians 4.19. When he said, and my God will supply your every, every need. Not every want, every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So if you go to somebody's house, probably pretty much in anybody in this room, we, I think most of us can provide a nice meal for somebody. But we all have very limited resources, some more limited than others. But see, God has no limitation. And he shares from that unlimited amount of blessings that he can give to us. We have a gracious and generous host who provides a banquet for his guests. And that's a blessing. The table is prepared and it's loaded with a bountiful abundance of the most choice foods. I was going to most say like the Chinese buffet, but that's probably not the most choice foods. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's great. You go in and it's everything. You can have as much as you want. You can, you can sit there all day. I wonder how, I'm going to try that one. I'm going to go in there and see how many hours I can sit there and they let me eat. But at God's banquet, it's full, it's abundant. The banquet of this, and then he takes this, you got this brimming cup and then he anoints the head of his guests to show the joy and the best part about this, I say the best part, it's, that's just kind of my spiteful side coming out. Your enemies see it. The enemies are seeing it. Those who attacked you are seeing how God is treating you as a warning and as not only just a warning, but as, hey, you could be here too. You can be here too. There's room at the table. I think that's neat. It's good to know that when we're in need, where is God? He's right with us. We can relax in his presence. The problem we have with that sometimes is we get so wrapped up, and I don't want to minimize what we struggle with because, believe me, I know there's some difficult struggles. But sometimes we get so, so wrapped up in the struggle. We, we, we sing a song in second service, I raise a hallelujah, and I love that because I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, I'm going to let your praises roar. And what that tells me is, when we're in the midst of those difficulties, we have to try the best we can to get our focus off those and put them where they belong. Because if you just focus on your problems, that's all you're going to see. That's all you're going to see. You ever been around a negative person? Wah, wah, wah. Saturday Night Live years ago had, had a Debbie Downer. Debbie Downer. Funny. Funny. Those were fun. That's back when it used to be funny. But the thing is, why is a person negative? If you're a negative person, you know why you're negative? Because that's all you focus on. You focus on every single thing that can and will go wrong. Going back to our country, we can spend our time focusing on all the bad stuff, and man, we'll get depressed and stressed and lose hope. But let's focus on the good. We'll deal with the bad. But do you want to go through life being negative and conspiracy theorist and everything else every day of your life? That's a miserable life. Or do you want to see the joy that we have in our life? Let me tell you, folks, one thing that is true. All of us, unless the Lord returns, are going to take our last breath. Do you want to waste the time you have between now and that last breath being negative? 
being fearful, focusing on everything that you think's wrong? Or do you want to have a little joy in your life? I'll take the joy. I choose joy. Let's look at verse 6. Surely your goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all my days. I will live in the Lord's house for the rest of my life. Whoops, what did I do there? Oh, I, I missed Psalm 36. No, I didn't. Um, oh, I know what I did. Okay, never mind. I made a mistake on my slides. The third thing that we see is God provides throughout our lives, and I should have put and beyond, but I'm counting our life as our eternal life also. With all the things covered in verses 1 through 5, an even greater joy experienced from David is the realization that one day he is going to be with the Lord for eternity. He's going to have a continuing relationship that will not end when he took his last breath. It's a life, eternal life-long relationship. The implication of verse 6 in this text is that it indicates a covenant relationship that David has with God. Surely, the word surely can be translated as I am certain of, I am certain of, I am sure, I have zero doubt. And the truth that David shares with us, he's doing it without trepidation, without qualification. He says, this is how it's going to be. His goodness, God's goodness and God's mercy, his blessings and his, and his love are a promise that can be enjoyed with the utmost confidence. So many times we have done so many things in life that make us feel guilty, and, and, and honestly, they probably should. You know, things I did, I should feel guilty about them. But what's amazing is that when you start to understand how much God loves you, you can let go of that guilt. You don't have to let it carry with you. You can drop it because he has. He is not saying, surely guilt and shame will pursue me all the days of my life. Yeah, they do through Satan, but through God, it's goodness, mercy, blessings. This is true of the old covenant, but we have a greater joy now in Christ. You can look at Hebrews uh, chapter 8, six through, verses 6 through 13 that talks about this. Because we've been saved and sealed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Goodness is a covenant term. When he talks about goodness will pursue me, goodness is a covenant term that was used in, in the Near Eastern uh, language at that time. What it did is it indicated peace and harmony that was established by a treaty. So not only are we dealing with God's goodness, but we get to experience his faithfulness. Some translations use the word mercy, which is a pretty good translation. But the word faithfulness that we see here, and also in chapter 5 and verse 7, is translated steadfast love. That gives you a picture of what's going on. We're pictured with what God does when it says, your, mercy, your, your, your goodness and your faithfulness will pursue me. Faithfulness is a beneficial action performed in the context of a deep, enduring commitment between either two persons or two parties, where the needy party receives the beneficiary act. The term pursue is used to describe the relentless pursuit, if you will, of David by God's goodness and his mercy. Just like Saul was pursuing him, David says, goodness and faithfulness will pursue me, and I don't have to worry about this. In David's view, being pursued by his enemies and taking refuge in the temple, which we have passages that talk about that, were just kind of on earth ways he could experience God's relentless love and goodness and faithfulness with him. The earlier reference of sitting at a table in the presence of the enemy, it describes the circumstances in which one is seated, receives protection, and receives God's care while that enemy looks on. 
Though the wicked are trying to bring calamity to his life, the godly person can anticipate goodness and faithfulness from God. People may mean you harm and may try to damage you physically, emotionally, spiritually, and your reputation. God's there with you. He's there protecting you. And David is anticipating this time when he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Some commentators say, well, he's talking about staying in the temple. I think it's much deeper than that because David knew he wasn't going to live forever on this earth. He's talking about that time when he's with God forever. What are you looking forward to in your future? What are you, when you look ahead, what are you looking forward to? I'm going to be straight up honest with you. When I was Claire's age a long time ago, a long time ago, I honestly didn't give it much thought. These days, I think about it a lot more because I got less road ahead of me than I have behind me. And I think pretty much everybody but Claire in here is that same way. We've got a lot more road behind us than in front of us. And as I see that that road starting to get to the point where there's going to be an end point, I think a lot about what am I looking forward to? What does my future past this life hold? Man, life can be a struggle. It is a struggle. Everyone struggles at certain levels. We have many challenges that leave us questioning God's presence in our life. Some of them are are devastating. Some of them are self-inflicted. Some of them happen to us for no, no rhyme or reason. But nonetheless, they're there. David knew his shepherd well enough and had seen him provide in moments when the world around him seemed to be collapsing that he didn't question that God was with him. David walked through those valleys of the shadow of death but he still found himself surrounded by God's light. And David had seen moments when his enemies were gathering around him, plotting his demise. But God chose those moments to set David up in front of all the world to show them that God was with him. Jesus provides the same thing for all those who belong to him. After all, he does what he sees the Father do. Our application point this morning is this. God's presence with us during difficult and trying times is meant to create a great confidence in his faithfulness to us and in us. So when you're going through those difficult times, God's not beating you up. You're facing things that happen as a result of living in a sinful world, and God is there with you to help you come through it. It's really easy just to focus in on the bad, the negative, the conspiracies, and all these things. But what kind of life is that? Let's put our focus where it needs to be. The other stuff we'll take care of, but keep your focus and keep your eyes on Jesus because he is the author and protector of your life. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. During this song of decision, If you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that, to put your faith in him, to confess him as your Lord, to repent to him of your sins, to meet him in the baptismal waters. You're going to rise and you're going to walk in a newness of life. That guilt and junk that's been been driving your life that you've been carrying, you can can let it go because it's washed away. You're going to be a new creation in Christ. You're going to rise and walk in a newness of life. If that's what you need, man, we're offering it to you. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. And once again, maybe you're in one of those valley times and you need some prayer. Come forward. I'd be glad to pray with you or Roger, one of our elders would.
But if you have a decision to make, we invite you to come forward this morning as we sing our song of decision. Let's stand together.
Smith made it famous. Some of you will remember Kate Smith. And it has become something that we sing periodically. But not only do we sing it, when you stop and think about it, it's really a prayer. A prayer. Listen to the words. God, bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam. God, bless America, my home, sweet home. What words would you use to describe what we have here in America? Loyalty, commitment, concern, care, love, independence, land of opportunity, land of plenty, and of course, freedom. And we celebrate that freedom today, and especially on Tuesday, July the 4th, we remember the sacrifices that have been made. We call to mind what our leaders have done for us in the past. We think about that love and commitment to today's generation. And we can truly pray, and it is a prayer, God bless America. Now, 
Having said that, what words would you use to describe what we have in Christ? Loyalty, commitment, concern, care, love, opportunity, and of course, freedom. Maybe we don't always think of freedom when we come to the time of communion. But because of what he was willing to do to establish the church, to bring us into the church, his kingdom, his family, because of his sacrifice, we are truly free. Free from guilt. Free to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Free to enjoy the blessings provided in his kingdom. Free to break the chains of slavery. Freedom from Satan's power over us. Certainly we all mess with sin once in a while, don't we? Jeff said so earlier. Didn't know he sinned, did he? On occasion, I'm sure he does, just like the rest of us. We still have those that battle to win a little bit. But we have freedom from the penalty of that sin. Because of the sacrifice of the one who established freedom for all who will accept it. Let's celebrate our freedom in Christ and thank him for it as we thus partake today. Father in heaven, we thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. Freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom from the power of Satan. As we thus partake of these emblems, may we, may we be reminded of that freedom and offer our thanks unto you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Go to the next slide. Every day we walk within it. Most of us unaware of it, holding fast to it nonetheless, as we breathe its air, take in its beauty, as we work its land and cultivate its commerce. We create in it, laugh in it, dance in it, raise our families in it, kneel and pray for it. But here, here is the day where we stop and look at it. Really look at it. We light up the sky for it. Wave our flags with a special kind of joy. Gather our neighbors and loved ones and let freedom ring. Over the mountains we climb through the neighborhoods where we live our lives and into the night sky that watches it all. We celebrate our freedom and press on to perfect the process of democracy. Our democracy. With every hearty handshake and every bright firework and each prayer of Thanks to God for all of it. We continue to pursue the protection of life. We keep protecting the hard-fought liberty. Out of many, we have become one. On the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements. Tuesday, the office will be closed at observance of July 4th. Um, there will be no youth groups until August, so they're coming up here pretty quick. Uh, the next small meeting will be July 15th from 11 to 1.30. There's going to be more information coming soon. Narrow Path, July 22nd. Uh, we'll be leaving the church at 8.30, gathering at 8. We're going to go to Empire Ranch, and we're going to do a cookout on the road. So sign up for bringing things that you can. Operation Christmas Child is looking for some different items. Stitches of Love is looking for people that can help them. Also, on, on, July, on uh, July 30th, there'll be a Singspiration here at First Christian Church uh, at, 5 excuse me, at 5 p.m. Um, there'll be, we'll have more information about that. There's going to be some refreshments, congregational singing and such. Also, adult Bible study we don't meet this week. Also, on a note, I was hoping I wouldn't have to give this morning. Um, we've transitioned to Servant Keeper, and I noticed this morning that my gift didn't come out. Mm, darn it, and I tested it. But anyway, um, what I did is I, if you are giving, if you give a if you give, um, reoccurring gift and you're doing it through your bank, through your checking account, it may not have gone through, so don't panic yet. I'm going to get on the line with them on Monday and try to see if we can figure out what's going on. I did run one through my credit card, and it worked fine. So do me a favor. If you do reoccurring gifts, if you'll just send me a, a, an email and say, my, my, it went through, and I give either credit card or checking account, that would be handy. That way, when, they call, when I call them, I can say, hey, I'm not the only person. It's not just my bank or whatever. Uh, we'll get that fixed. So anyway, the risk I ran this morning is giving two offerings, but that's fine. God can use it. So... Um, Anyway, 
I'm going to find out Monday what's going on with that, and I'll send out an email to people as soon as I give an answer to that. If you're giving with credit card, I don't think it'll be affected. So if you do give with credit card recurring, send me a note and say, hey, my credit card thing went through like normal. That, that'll help me in troubleshooting what's going on with them. It's funny, sometimes I call tech support, and I end up supporting them. But anyway, so that's what I wanted to mention. All right, I think that's all the announcements. In the back of your bulletin, we have prayer concerns, and we have prayer celebration. So we ask that you take note of those and be in prayer for them. Um, continue to be in prayer for Kirk, uh, Kurt Lang. He's, uh, did, is he doing okay? Okay, he's still not doing well. And Bessie Atkins, she just got out of the hospital. I went to see her the other day, and she was out. I don't know if she's supposed to be out or not, but, but uh, I'm not sure. But anyway, she's not there. Um, so keep her in your prayers along with everybody else with our troops who are deployed, particularly pray for their safety. Pr uh, be in prayer for Operation Christmas Child and for all the missions that we support. At this time, let's go together. I'll give you a moment to lift up your hearts in prayer to the Lord, and I'll close us, and our praise team will lead us with a song. Let's stand up and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that we could be here today, that we live in this great country of ours, that we had the freedom to come together to worship this morning. And I pray, Lord, that as we live life this week, we live it on, with positivity, knowing who you are, knowing that you're with us even through our darkest times. Father, I pray that as we celebrate our nation's birthday, that we will have a great time doing that. And Father, that we will remember why we have this freedom, that it comes through you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.